You're listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday follow-up. We're back with Pastor Brad. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be How's here. How's everything going in the Myers household? Uh, well, it's a little hectic this morning, though I'm missing out on it. Are um, you? Yeah, my kids and wife are heading back to my in-laws in okay. Alma, their house, for a few days before Easter. They'll be coming back on Saturday, so they're just going to spend a few days back there. So, uh, you know, last night was madness trying to get packed and all of that sort of stuff. I can't even imagine what that looks like. <laughs> So I know that they're probably running around like they're crazy this morning trying to get kids to not make a mess of the house and stuff in luggage. Or drag everything out that was packed because when you get there, you go, whose stuffy is missing? Yes, exactly. We have have all of those same challenges. So we we actually have a packing list that we have on our computer and we print out every time we're about to go anywhere. So smart. It's better now than it used to be. Like (laughs) now that all of our – well, all of our born kids are old enough that we're not doing like – all the nursing stuff or mm-hmm. all the baby food mm-hmm. stuff or all the crib stuff. You know, yep. they can all sleep on beds. And yep. that, that takes down the number of things significantly. And it opens up more room. It does. It does. Like my children can actually like sit in their seats in the back, in the, back of the car now. Yeah. Uh, I never understood. I mean, I'm amazed at how much storage minivans have. Yeah. And I never understood people needing a, like a top. You know, a thing to go on the roof, whatever those toppers are called, mm-hmm. sort of storage, and, and mm-hmm. it makes sense. You know, when now you get all you that know. baby stuff, it's madness, like pack and plays and bouncers and, oh, man, That's it's crazy. That's true. I, yeah, I'm sure. Other that or a little trailer. It, yeah, uh, one of those two. We have been there with four <laughs> so kids. So pretty soon like, we'll we see the Myers so van coming in with a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That we could have been there. We could have been there. And it is like that, you know, because I'm going – it's, it doesn't matter how long you're yeah. there. If you're overnight, you need the pack and play. You need and the if, same amount of stuff you need for one night that you need it. for five, minus the clothes. That really that's is the reality. It. And so diapers and everything. Anyways, yeah. it is. So I'm sure it's madness at my home right now. Um, but I told everyone goodbye this morning before I came to okay. work. And they'll figure it out and hopefully be in Alma before the end of the day. So the silence will be deafening when you get home, I'm sure. The silence will be, yeah, different and, and glorious in, yeah. its, in its own right. <laughs> yeah. Like it's... I, I love the sound of having the kids in the house, and I also love the yeah. sound of, of the quiet sometimes. You don't I'm kind of an introvert, so I kind of enjoy yeah. a little bit of silence and solitude mm-hmm. now and again. When I'm alone in the house, which is very rare, I don't know what to do. Uh-huh. I'm like, I, I don't know how to function without noise. Yeah. So, well, that's exciting. I hope they have a good trip, and um, maybe you can get some studying done, some preaching prep done. <laughs> we we will be. Normally, some projects, normally my maybe. rule is I can't study from home, but uh, now it, it's much easier. <laughs> that's it is. right. Well, let's jump into um, the topic that we're on today, and that's recapping the sermon and looking forward ahead to this Sunday. Um, this Sunday, you covered 1 Corinthians 15, that was it the last part of it? We have one more well, section, yeah, and that's going to be Easter. Well, yeah, we've got one more small section right at the end yep. um, that we're going to cover here on Easter. Yep, and so you touched on the resurrection, and the, you know, for those that don't know, Philip and I have a son with special needs, and we've we've gotten to see the the mortality side of our human bodies in, yeah. in him and, and things that his body was not created to do that ours does. And so just having him next to us on Sunday really also drove home that point of this message of that, the one day, that yeah. one day hope of those resurrected bodies. And so explain for us what you talked about on Sunday. Yeah. Um, Paul, Paul, Paul is basically dealing with the, the implications of, a resurrected body. He's like, what? what how is this going to play out? We talked about a couple of weeks ago, obviously, the reality of the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, look, if Christ was raised, you too will be raised. And so then he addresses this hypothetical objection that people have. Well, how does that work? 
you know, that are, and it's funny, we have a tendency to think that it's only our modern culture that thinks in terms of like science and yeah. the way they see things work and they're skeptical of, yeah. you know, the supernatural and things. But no, I mean, Paul's, Paul's writing in a Roman Greek context that was big on philosophy and big on the natural world and big on separating the spiritual from the natural and things like that. And so they're going, okay, so how does these bodies work? This sounds ridiculous, Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of cynical and responding back. And, and it's... From the commentators, it's not sure whether Paul had actually run into this argument, you know, in his travels around, you know, sharing the gospel, or if he's just simply addressing what he expects will be the pushback from the Corinthians or those in the Corinthian church. But either way, he addresses kind of these major opinions of the day, you know, this, how is this going to work, Paul? You know, thinking this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. We don't understand how this works. And Paul responds with, with basically like, how dare you minimize God's power? Like, you, you, like, I mean, you fool, right, is what yeah. he says. Like, I mean, it's really, really strong language where he's like, you're missing the whole point. Like, you're missing the whole thing. Do you really think that if God brought the created universe into existence that he can't bring life back mm-hmm. to mortal bodies, even if they've been burned and even if mm-hmm. they've been lost at sea and mm-hmm. even if they've been whatever the case might be, you yeah, know, without getting grotesque? Nothing's without his reach. Yeah, exactly. Like if he created it all, he can recreate it all. Yeah. And that's sort of an idea. So he's like, don't minimize God's power. And he stresses God's resurrection power. But then he also says, okay, now let's connect this to our actual question. And he stresses God's resurrection promise. He said, okay, God has the power to do this. And he will do this. So what will this look like? You know, so these these bodies are sown. They're put in the ground, perishable. They're raised imperishable. They're sown in dishonor. They're raised in glory. They're sown in weakness. They're raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And I love that sequence because what he's saying is like, there's going to be familiarity. You're going to recognize people in the nude resurrection. You're not going to be like, well, who am I? You know, you've lost all of your identity and everything you are and, and sort of thing. But there will be a difference. There will be both a similarity and there will also be a difference in a resurrected body. So it'll be familiar, but it'll be glorious. It'll be so much better. And he stresses that idea. And I I still want to put it into this whole terms that he's reminding of the fact of their human frailty in this body today Mm -hmm. and the future hope of of a different body. But he's doing it to stress like this is the stuff that really matters, guys. Like you're fighting about all these things. And he's been criticizing this church for 15, you know, 14 chapters. He said, like, let me tell you what's really important. You know, and you all need to remember that, like, you're all living life with a termination date in this current body, and you're all looking forward to this hope of a resurrected new body someday. That, too, should be a source of unity for you as a church. That should fight against some of the things that you're disputing about today and your schisms and your fractures and your brokenness as a church. You should find unity in that frailty that you exist in today, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I appreciated how you brought in not just the physical but the mental as well Mm. like some of us may not struggle on the outward physically yeah but have the human frailty and have the sin and sickness other places mental illness um physical limitations and so i appreciated how you brought that all in because what what a i don't what a refreshing view of one day that will be no more yeah I, I think I think in many ways the, the church has been guilty of either minimizing or overplaying mm-hmm. the, the realities of both the physical and spiritual dimensions of our lives. On the one hand, we tend to kind of minimize this physical reality. Like, well, everything's just spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's just like it like what what we're thinking, it's all just it's all just about sin, right? And there's no mental illness and there's no realities of that. And I think that's a misunderstanding of scripture and the nature of who we are. Mm-hmm. Be like there aren't physical things that affect our emotional state and our spiritual state. There are physical reality. I mean, pain is a great example. 
when you're going through an extremely painful time, emotionally or an extremely painful mm-hmm. time, right. physically, or both. it will affect your spiritual condition. It will yeah. affect that reality. I mean, you know, you know, even think of like, um, I mean, we see examples of this uh, in the Old Testament, I think, you know, like Isaiah, right? He goes through this incredible experience and then he seems to have this kind of drop off mm-hmm. where he's almost suffering from depression and he's like, God, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, sort of a thing. And I, I think that's a reality of that. That's that part of that physical play between the physical and the spiritual and these impact that we are one being, you know, and that's part of this whole resurrection idea that like, Sometimes we have a tendency to overplay the spiritual and say the physical doesn't really matter. And he's saying, no, 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 your, your eternity will be in a physical resurrected mm-hmm. body. Humanity was created for this sort of physical experience. I mean, fallen today, but renewed one day in the resurrection of our spirit engaging mm-hmm. with our physical bodies. That mm-hmm. will one day be perfect. Mm-hmm. And we won't have to suffer from any of those limitations, mm-hmm. mental or, or things that mm-hmm. come from the reality of our physical existence. And, and so we, we don't want to downplay the physical reality and how that impacts our spirituality. I also want to say that Christ, some Christians have a tendency to overplay, overplay the physical. And everything that they struggle with in their life is a result of a physical ailment, right? You know, that there's no spiritual dimension to alcoholism, that there's no spiritual dimension to depression, that there's mm-hmm. no spiritual dimension to – and I think that would be overstating the case as well. Yeah. You know, I think there's a recognition that there is a physical reality, but there's also a recognition that sin is sin. And like scripture talks about sin and its effects on our, our lives and our thinking and our, our emotions and things like that. And it says, take those thoughts captive, right? There's, there's a reality. So I think, I think we need to both recognize both dimensions and also speak to both dimensions from a biblical standpoint, because I think scripture does speak to both dimensions when it comes to dealing with these sort of things. But the recognition that both the sin that affects our spiritual condition and the physical limitations of our physical body will both be perfect one day in mm-hmm. glory with Christ. And that's an incredible hope to us as believers. Well, and that promise is for those that are believers. Yeah. That that you said we'll have these two bodies that will fit in the new heaven and the new earth. This this hope isn't this is for those who have put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ alone yeah. for their salvation. Yeah. You talked about, you know, there's a you're going one of two places when yeah. you take your last breath, and that is either in glory yeah. or forever separated. And yeah. I don't know the scriptures really speak to what the you know we we look to these heavenly bodies but mm. we know we'll be separated in hell if we if we have not rectified with Christ. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of time spent in scripture on the nature of yeah. the physical existence uh in hell. I mean, you could go to examples like the rich man and Lazarus, mm-hmm. you know, and and there's some question about how literal are we to understand that story? Is it a parable? Is it a real story? There's some dis- dispute there, but assuming it's at least speaking to this reality, we believe in a physical existence in mm-hmm. hell. Now, we don't know a lot about the bodies there, right. um, so I don't want to overplay that from a scriptural right. standpoint, but we do believe there is a physical, real torment there. It's not just a spiritual thing. There's a physical reality to that. Um, And that should cause us to pause. Exactly. And consider how serious that is. Yeah. And that's why when I think of that new body, you know, when you're younger, you have a hard time understanding like, oh, come Lord Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Like all these grownups would be like, I just can't wait. Let's get to heaven now. And you go, wait a minute. I'm feeling good. But you brought into anybody past 30, right? Kind of downhill from there. I know I caught some flag at the staff meeting, right? For saying anybody past 30, everybody's like, oh, when you get to 40, you'll really understand. But but it's true. You know, even in trials, I now understand because of that hope. Like, I long and I'm excited for that day. Yeah. You know, 
that I hope I see a no Isaiah and he is running. Yeah. But you said don't. You also gave some charges, right? Yeah. There was three. Yeah. Yeah. One was a a cautious. Yep. And two were encouraging. Can you go over those again? Yeah. Um, uh, especially on that second point, as far as this promise, the first was was not to get overly speculative. Yes. Like uh, we tend to, again, we tend to speculate. We tend mm-hmm. to start reading verses like this. Well, what does that mean? What will right. I be doing? How will I? Will I see Isaiah running? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those sort what of things. What will I see? Yeah. There, uh, how much continuity will mm-hmm. there be with our current existence and our future existence? Yeah. And on the one hand, I'd say there's probably some continuity there. Yeah. Like there's there's probably something we're saying, hearkening back to Genesis. I want to talk about Genesis a bit more in our more section yeah. here in a minute. But there's there's probably going to be some continuity, some familiarity, some because scripture in Revelation 21 and 22 really seems to parallel what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. This idea of kind of a return to the garden, return this to Eden, Edenic, so this idyllic, yeah. um, this perfect place where we're worshiping and, and walking with God face to face and that sort of idea. So there's something to be said for the continuity, but you don't want to overplay that because yeah. there's also a probably a discontinuity. There's going to be something fundamentally different about that new existence. And you could look to what what was Christ's resurrected body like in the Gospels, but truthfully, there's not a lot of detail given there. And there's also no definitive statement in the New Testament saying that's what your new bodies will look like. Right. And so there's a reality to that, but there also we don't want to pl- overplay mm-hmm. that. And so don't speculate too much. That was yeah, that was an that encouragement. That was a great exhortation. I, I'm not I sure think that's I've our tendency. Really that. You know, yeah. we want to look forward to heaven. Um, we want to look forward to that reality. Um, but I'm trying I'm trying to find it in. Uh, uh, in in First Corinthians chapter two, uh, I didn't I didn't talk about this on on Sunday, but there's a reality when he's talking about spiritual wisdom in First Corinthians two. He's got this little diatribe, and it's interesting. And he says, "But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him." Hmm. And he inserts that little thing, you know, that little passage, that little quotation. And I think we would do well to remember that. Mm-hmm. Like, no eye has seen it. You know, so don't, don't get off on all these books that are, you know, five minutes in heaven or whatever. I mean, that's, right. Scripture says that's not it. Right. Okay. No ear is heard, but nor the heart of man imagined. So it's like you cannot imagine how good heaven is going to be. You cannot imagine what that existence is going to be. Mm-hmm. And Scripture is not related to us. Yeah. So we would do well to rest in that, but anticipate it knowing that we don't mm-hmm. see it yet today. And so there's, there's a reality to that. can't imagine. And I have a pretty good imagination. I know. But your imagination <laughs> might be totally different right. than what we see, not to mention it will be right. so much less than what we'll right. experience. Yeah, I thought that was, that was a great encouragement. So, but in addition, yeah, if I can say in addition the, to that, I, I also mentioned... Parts of it? Yeah, I mentioned not getting overly consumed with the body too, like the, this physical existence. I, I get it. You know, we, we are big on, you know, physical health and on, you know, those sort of things. And, that, and that's fine. Like, again, because Paul says physical bodily training is of some value mm-hmm. in 1 Timothy 4 and that reality. And that's fine. And again, again, I'm, I'm all for working out and I'm all for stewarding the body you've been given by God. Sure. That, is a, that is a biblical principle. But we can turn the body we've been given by God into an idol and think that somehow if we do the right things, we can preserve it forever. Mm-hmm. And that's not the intention of Scripture. Like this body is going to die. It's going to return to dust. That's the plan. And I mean, short of Christ coming back in our lifetimes, which is what we're talking about this week mm-hmm. uh, in the message, like short of that happening, our bodies are all going to turn to dust. It doesn't matter. No, no athlete has ever been able to stave off aging. Yeah. No matter how fit they were, the aging process still takes place. And and so there's some value there, but have a realistic perspective on it. You're not going to be able to maintain this body forever. That's yeah. not the way God – that's not the that's not the plan that Scripture lays out for our current physical existence. There's a new body that we're guaranteed, and that's why it's so much better 
this body's perishable, the new body will be imperishable in that reality. So, so long for that, you know, that was really my encouragement. Like, it's okay to look forward to that day, particularly as you age. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. To be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord. And the realities of that new existence are something we really should long for. And when we see pain, when we see the implications of sin and fallenness in our world, in in people's bodies, in their mental conditions, in the realities of this world, it's okay to long for that day. You know, I mean, that's... It doesn't matter what the situation is, whether it's a physical, you know, some sort of illness that you get diagnosed with or whether it's some sort of genetic reality yeah. that you've had to live your entire life yep. with or whether it's a mental illness that, you know, you've come into or realized at some point that that all is going to go away one day, you know, and, and it's okay to recognize that and say, like, God, I, I want to be there. Mm-hmm. I want to be there, not just to be free from all of that stuff, but to be present with Christ. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, and that's that's an amazing reality that we look forward to as believers. Yeah. You, so you mentioned Genesis one. Yeah. What talk to us more about that? I'm guessing if we were given five more minutes, that might be where you were headed. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned briefly on Sunday that this whole text seems to be related to what or what Moses lays out in Genesis chapter one. Um, and so if you, if you give me a little bit of freedom here, I want I want to kind of yeah. stress the realities of that. I, I, I just find the correlation to be so potent for us to consider just a bit. Um, the first is in that, in that middle section in verse 39, when he brings up this, this topic for the, first, for the first time, he talks about this diversity of flesh that we see in creation, right? All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of mankind, another flesh of animals, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. He's trying to talk about the diversity that we see in creation. He's drawn a parallel to the new creation. It's interesting that that almost perfectly parallels what we see in Genesis chapter 1 on day 5, right? So he's talking about these different types of flesh, birds and fish and humanity and animals. Let me just read that section in Genesis 1, verses 20 through 27. This is day 5 in the order of creation in Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarms according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, being fruitful and multiplying, fill the waters of the seas, let the birds multiply over the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Right? There's this reality at play in, in this day where we see birds and we see fish, right? Then day six, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. You see how Paul's tying into this language according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every living creep or every creeping thing which creeps on the earth. So God's created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So it seems like Paul has day five and day six in mind when he writes back here this idea in verse 39, all flesh is not the same. There's one flesh of mankind, another flesh of animals, another flesh of birds, another fish. It's exactly what we saw on day five and six in creation. Now, after that, 
he goes into this reality of these diverse heavenly and earthly bodies in verse 40 and 41. He goes on and he says, there is also a heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one and the glory of earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. He's working in reverse. Now we go back to day four in Genesis 1, verses 14 through 19. Let me read that. Hmm. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And he set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth fourth day. So... Paul seems to be drawing this correlation. He seems to be trying to help them envision this creation or remember the first creation in Genesis 1 and saying God created this incredible reality. And remember, this all came out of Genesis 1 verse 2. The whole story started with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, that terminology is actually interesting, that without form and void is mm-hmm. tohu wabohu in Hebrew. And it's, it's fascinating because it's the idea of like this chaos, this unformedness. And I'm not saying there was something in existence. I'm just like the terminology is intended to help them. Like it is, it is craziness, if you will. It is formlessness. It is, it is voidness. It is non-existent. It is, it, it's it used elsewhere to talk about kind of a barren landscape that's unfruitful, that's unhelpful, that's unproductive. And into that reality, God calls out and creates everything that is right? He brings order out of chaos. He brings life out of death. He brings something out of nothing. And so Paul reckons them back to this as a reminder that God did this once in creation. This, these bodies that seemed like there was nothing, there was nothing formed. There was nothing valuable. There was nothing productive, just like the death, just like the dead bodies that we see, right? You're looking at these bodies saying, well, what kind of form are they going to come with? And Paul's like, is anything too great for God? Hmm. Like, is anything too great for God? We saw him do this once. And he seems to be trying to draw this intentional correlation, and he's helping them picture the resurrection as a new creation of sorts, right? This idea that these new bodies will be this new creation, this new work of God as he brings life to their, or to their mortal bodies, as he brings a new creation, a new environment. And that's paralleled by what we find in Revelation 21 then, when it talks about the final few chapters of the Bible in Revelation 21 and 22, saying God creates this new heaven and this new earth. And, and you see how he's weaving these things together. He's like, God created this environment and placed Adam and Eve into it at one point. Well, God is creating this new environment, the new heavens and the new earth, and he's going to create your new bodies to inhabit that environment. So he's trying to help them see God did it once in creation. He can do it again in the new creation, and he's going to do it even better. I mean, there's no improving on God, right? God saw that it was good. There's no improving on God's work, but there's going to be something fundamentally better about that existence than even what we saw in Genesis 1. You know, I never really saw that until you started preaching on Corinthians. And yeah. I've seen, and you've come to that several times. Paul does it consistently. And he's not the only New Testament author that does, but Paul especially does it consistently yeah. to ground. Essentially, what I think he's trying to paint for them is, is like there is something 
fundamentally new about Christ coming and what he's done. They, and there's they also needed something, a comparison or they needed a beginning? Well, they need it grounded. There's something new about it, but there's also something familiar about it. Hmm. The God familiar, who created in Genesis 1 is no different than the God who recreates in 1 Corinthians 15. Like God's formula is consistent. If I can say that, no, he does new things. And I'm not saying, I'm sure. not minimizing any of that. Or limiting. Yeah, yeah it's, not a, it's not a limitation on God's power. It's just the opposite. Mm-hmm. He's saying because God has done it before, God can do it again, right? You're questioning whether or not, and that, and that really speaks to the, the, the foundation of their question, right? Someone will say, how are the dead raised? And what power and what means do they come, right? And with what kind of body do they come? He's saying, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Have mm-hmm. you met the God of the Bible? Right. Like, really? That's going to be your question? And they would have had those scriptures, right? They the would Old have. Testament scriptures. Yeah, that's exactly true. And they would have been familiar with that idea. And obviously, there would have been other competing worldviews mm-hmm. at play that the Corinthians mm-hmm. would have been familiar with. You know, they're, they're polytheistic society. Yep. They would have hundreds of gods. Well, I'm glad you brought that stories. in on Sunday because I think sometimes we forget, oh, that wouldn't have happened in Paul's day. But it was. There they is, had a different – They their frame of reference wasn't necessarily that different. There is, and we're, I mean, we're downstream of that Greek and Roman way of thinking, mm-hmm. you know? And we tend to have kind of an arrogance in the 21st century thinking, oh, we've got all these new things. We're so much smarter than they were. And things. well, that's not true. Right. Like, I mean, there's a reason we go back to people like Aristotle and Socrates mm-hmm. and, and those sort of characters when it comes to philosophy. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of stuff goes back. I mean, th- yeah. these were brilliant people. Yes. It wasn't for lack of knowledge yeah. that they were asking these sort of questions. They really thought these questions were the trump cards. Mm-hmm. And Paul's had like, have you, have you met the God of the Bible? Yeah. And that's really the fundamental difference. And it's still the fundamental difference today, right? The difference is not between believers and unbelievers is not a matter of intelligence. Yeah. You know, it's not a matter of what, what intellect you have, your ability to think through these sort of questions. It's really a matter of whether or not you've met the God of the Bible. Hmm. Do you know Christ? Do you read the Bible through a lens of faith and through an understanding of what has God created? Because if you do, you can be brilliant and you can see it, or you can be not so brilliant and you can see it. And if you don't, and if you don't know God, you can be brilliant and not see it, and you can be not so brilliant and not see it. Yeah. The difference is really whether or not you are familiar and have a relationship with Christ and with the God of the Bible. So is that our application? You know, that's that's probably one <laughs> that's worth so, noting yeah, on this. Yeah, so if we look at it, how do we apply this this text to our lives? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because what I find fascinating about the way we tend to read things about the end times, things about mm-hmm. eschatology and things about new bodies and new heavens and earth and Christ's return and things like that. We tend to make it very academic. Yeah. We tend to make it all about, you know, some of us don't even want to have the conversation. We're like, I'm just not smart enough to deal with end times. But like the reality of the situation. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the reality of the situation is Paul writes about these things to be infinitely practical. You know, one of the parallel passages, another place that Paul writes about this idea is First Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's, there's a whole section, 13 through 18. I'd encourage our listeners to go and read it. Um, there's a whole section on basically, th- it's going to parallel what we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, the idea of Christ's return and the idea of those who are dead being raised again, the idea of what's going to happen in the transformation of those who are still here, that, that whole idea. But in, in 1 Corinthians or 1 Thessalonians 4, his encouragements are very, very similar to what we find in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. Like in verse 7 and 8, he encourages them to holiness. He says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Oh, yeah. Remember, there's a God out there who can do this, guys. Right. And this should be a motivation for holiness for us. He encourages them to brotherly love. Verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love. 
right? This whole idea, right? And he says, you guys are doing pretty good in this idea, but you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, right? This is the idea. This is, this is where it's different than 1 Corinthians, right? Because they weren't doing very good on that in, in, in Corinth, right? He goes on and he, he says, you know, you should have an appropriate grieving hope, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That same idea of believers that have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. This idea, you're going to grieve. There's going to be a loss. Mm-hmm. Death is evil. Death is wrong. And yet, you don't grieve like those who have no hope. Mm-hmm. You don't grieve like there's not a future, that there isn't a resurrection. So there's this idea of grieving hope. And then finally, in verse 18, he ends with encouragement, just like he does here in 1 Corinthians 15. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Nowhere in there does he say, therefore, fight with one another about who is right about this subject. <laughs> Right. In all of them, he says, like, there's a there's a pursuit of holiness and brotherly yep. love that should motivate your sanctification. And bringing along the brother. Yeah, yeah. There's there's that idea. There's this idea of there should be a tempered grief as we experience death. There should be both a a sadness from the reality that we face and the separation that we face today. And yet there's a forward looking hope. That means we don't grieve that way mm-hmm. like the world does because we're looking forward to a day. We rest our confidence in the guarantee of the resurrection because of Christ's resurrection. And then like this encouragement to like keep pressing on. Like even as brothers and sisters in Christ are falling asleep, keep pressing on because even that is a reminder that God will bring new life, that God has been faithful and God will be faithful. Um, and so be encouraged, you know, move forward. And that's very much what he does in 1 Corinthians 15. And so I would encourage our listeners to just think in those terms, like as we consider this reality, this should be a motivation for holiness for us today. This should be a motivation to love our brothers because mm-hmm. like in eternity's perspective, what's going on today is far less important. Mm-hmm. It, should be a, it should be a reminder that we can look at death for what it is as believers. We can mourn death in, in its reality and in its pain and all of those things. And yet we can look forward to the fact that it's not the end. Mm. Like that's not the final word on this subject. And we can, we can live with courage and we can live with motivation saying, this is all going somewhere. Yeah. Like this isn't all futile. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a direction and this is part of God's plan. And one day this will all make sense as, mm-hmm. we, as we inhabit our new risen bodies, as we live in the new heavens and the new earth, as we see Christ face to face, as we walk with God in the garden again, mm-hmm. if you will. This will all make sense in light of God's plan. Much so. Okay, so we need to finish up 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. Sunday is Easter. It what is. A, when you plan this out, did you plan to do this message on Easter? <laughs> okay, there was, it worked out there was beautifully. some that just kind of lined up, and there yep. was some making it, making it work a bit. I laid out the original weeks, and I knew I was going to be somewhere in 1 Corinthians 15 on Easter. And I'm like, that's just perfect. That's exactly mm-hmm. where I'd want to go anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was kind of tweaking our January schedule and trying to line this all up. And again, all of it's, you know, Lord willing, if we get snow yeah. and, you know, everything yeah. gets delayed, you never yeah. know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but it worked out really well. And I was like, we'll be well, wrapping up First Corinthians 15. Happen. What's that? <laughs> the snow. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Like if we get snow on Easter, we're going to be in really bad shape. You know, that'll be like, oh, that sounded great. You know, and then this is where we are. Um, but no, it just it just kind of lined up that way, and it was like this is a great place to end, and then we'll have another mm-hmm. week on First Corinthians sixteen after that, just kind of wrapping up the book and mm-hmm. and some things like that. But but yeah, we'll be in First Corinthians chapter fifteen verses fifty through fifty eight. His kind of closing remarks on the resurrection, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm glad we've spent a little bit more time and kind of meditated on and slowed down to speak mm-hmm. to the resurrection. Um, such an incredible hope here at the end of First Corinthians. 
Um, so 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58, uh, by way of preparing your hearts, okay. I would encourage our listeners to be reading through those. He also quotes from Isaiah chapter 25 okay. in that section. Um, that's a great text as well. We'll probably be reading some of that on Sunday morning, but okay. I encourage your listeners to go back so read both. and read through that. Okay. And if you want to go forward to what he anticipates... In uh, Revelation chapter 21, John seems to be referencing both 1 Corinthians 15 and Isaiah 25. Hmm. So if you want to go ho- forward and look forward to how that all gets kind of woven together in Revelation 21, that would be a great way uh, to read or something to read in anticipation as well. Uh, from kind of a meditation, where, how to prepare your heart standpoint, obviously it's Easter, we're looking to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and that theme right in the middle of this text, that is a quotation from Isaiah 25, as far as death is swallowed up in victory. I think this is an incredible text to be preaching on Easter because it's like that is what Christ did. Mm -hmm. And that is what we will see fully consummated his return. And that's an incredible hope. And what a way to celebrate Easter Mm -hmm. other than looking to how Christ swallowed up death in victory on, on that day that he rose again as well. And then it's interesting at the end of chapter 15, we don't tend to think in these terms, but Paul spends 57 verses with basically no imperatives, no commands, no exhortations. It's just here's truth that you need to see. Hmm. And then at the end, he's got this, you know, four exhortations at the end of verse, in verse 58, where he says, therefore, my brother, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And that, that's kind of the, the punctuation on the end of 15. And so I would encourage our listeners, wow. take some time to consider those four commands that Paul has at the end. And he's saying, do these things in light of the resurrection that you have. Well, Easter morning is my favorite Sunday. Yeah. There is nothing like standing in a room and testifying of Christ's defeat of death. Yeah. Yeah. It's just my favorite. So for those of you that don't know, Redemption Road is this Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also a great way to prepare. That is this Thursday and Friday and then come back on Easter. We're going to have two services. Yep. Nine o'clock and 1030. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's that's pretty good. We're yeah. going to be anticipating Easter. So. Okay, very good. Well, we'll see you on Easter Sunday. Yep, we'll be there. Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. Thank you.